Missing car alert. Have you seen my car? A black OD with license plate L33339 Missing from Limerick. The owner John Murphy, that's me, I'm John Murphy, right? And I'm seeking the public's help in locating my car robbed outside my door last Saturday early Sunday. I know I drove it home from the pub and parked outside my door and it's gone. If you have any information regarding the whereabouts of my car, contact me, John Murphy, immediately via Bangor Road Garda Station. They know me in there. Don't talk to anyone but Con Scott, Sergeant Scott. He's on the case. Any details, no matter how small, could be crucial in the search for my car, robbed outside my door. Okay, Black Audi. L three 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 nine three three. Go on, that'll do, Margaret. Hit stop on that there for me. All right, will I ease into it? Ease into it. Slide in there. Get the butter out. Get the what out? Oh, I'm sorry. I regret saying that. Oh my God. And was it uh, last temptation? Last time. Was it last, last, last tango? <laughs> last temptation of Christ. Last temptation of Christ. Yeah, the infamous scene with the butter. <laughs> Jesus Nazareth and Mary Magdalene. Fell <laughs> <laughs> straight to hell with that one. We're back, season four. Oh my God, I I can't believe we're on and, season four. And what, Kevin? And I'm interrupting you already. Yes, yes. Okay. Listen, but three seasons of practice. One. You've got another season ahead of you, so buckle up. <laughs> Uh, we need a grabber of an opening and I'm not referring to the 2012 <laughs> smash hit Irish classic What Richard Did <laughs> Thank God because you bring that fucking film up every every episode I'm sick of hearing about What Richard Did sick of it I know what he did he won the award that I should have won that IFTA was mine Will yeah. I'm going to give you a hook for this episode Go on. and for the audience because right. that's what opening scenes are all about they're hooky They've got to grab you, grab you by the neck, punch the shit out of you. Kick on the door, sit on the table. <laughs> Make an impression, leave a mark. I want you in this episode to guess what my pick is going to be. And I'm going to give you clues so that you can guess. And if you don't guess it right, yeah. I'm not going to reveal what my pick is. How is that for a hook? <laughs> for fuck's sake. So hold on. You're going to give me keywords. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm just going to give you a clue throughout the episode. Right. I'll give you one clue up front. Okay. It was directed by a man. That'll seriously narrow it down. Just yeah. to, you know, 99% of films that have been ever made. Okay, right. Right. Will we get into it? Let's. Let's play the brand new season four upgraded theme tune. Oh are you small words that you'll be sure to understand, you warthog-faced buffoon. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. You are stupid, you have no taste, a lousy sense of humor, and you smell. Don't call me stupid. Hello and welcome to The Best Bits, a movie podcast where we pick our favourite scenes from randomly selected, weirdly specific themes. This is your co-host, Kevin. Yep, that's me. You're probably wondering, how did I get here? Well, it's a long story. And I'm joined by my co-host of three films, plus a Christmas special, Will. What was that? What's going on? I have no idea what's going on. Listeners, I genuinely don't have any idea what he's going to do when we get on right. New season, new theme tune, 
but it's the same tune. I just gave it a little bit of a makeover. Yeah. How are you doing, Will? I'm doing great. It's absolutely brilliant to be back recording the new season. I've missed it, Kevin. I've missed it. Is it? Is it though? It is. It is. It's fantastic. I missed it. Podbot is back as well. Welcome back, Luke. Back here producing the show and fact-checking us when you fuck up. (laughs) Podbot, how are you, girl? How have you been? It is so nice to be back. I don't care. Bastard. Hey, Podbot. Hello. I'm not particularly fond of her either. (laughs) Say it again. So, Will, how come we're doing opening scenes? Because our Patreon listeners have decided we put a poll on our Patreon page and our listeners decided that this was the topic we were going to cover. What were the options? There were many options. There was best crime scene, best road trip scene, best villain scene, best meet cute scene, best opening scene, best POV scene, best found footage scene, best fish out of water scene, best kiss off scene and best courtroom scene. If we didn't get opening scene, what one would you have wanted? Best villain scene, which actually was a close second. Yeah, I would have gone for that as well. That would have been good. Yeah. Oh, well, we're stuck with opening scene. Yeah, well, I'm happy with that. It's uh, uh, apt to open season, I suppose, with best opening scene. I've done some research on the topic and I learned a lot, more than I thought I would. And I can share some of the things that I learned to get the ball rolling, shall we say. Yep. So basically, opening scenes is a technical term for scenes which open a movie. Jesus. They're also known as the first scene wow. or the start. Some scenes are good, some are not good, but all the scenes that begin the movie are known as the beginning scenes. <laughs> the scientists must have been slaving away on that theory for years, probably longer than the Manhattan Project. So I'm glad I'm glad we've got that scientific definition. Thank you, Kevin. You're welcome. Uh, but listen, there are loads of different ways to open a movie, and I'll give you a smattering of the ones which have been categorized. So here are the options. Yep. You've got bookends. You've got red herrings, dream sequences. You've got tone setters like cold opens. You've got prologues, inciting incidents, flash forwards, and days in the life. Days in the life are like the Bond openings where you get to see them on a prior mission. Ah, okay. Right. Okay. And I'll give you a clue, Will. My pick was also written by a man. Oh my God, we've narrowed it down to the same 99% of films that have ever been made. Brilliant. This is getting very easy. Do you want to take a guess so far? Oh, I would say, well, there's only been a couple. Um, Was it Citizen Kane? It wasn't Citizen Kane. Okay. But that is a very good one to kick us off with this topic. Okay. How would you categorize the opening to Citizen Kane? I would say Citizen Kane, off the top of my head, it's flash forward. I'd say it's black and white. That would be the first thing I'd say. It's it's a flash forward opening scene. It's the famous Rosebud yes. scene. I googled Rosebud and um, I've got to be honest with you, I didn't expect what I saw. Uh, I really, really wasn't sure that I should bring it up or not. But... Truly, Kevin, I only know Rosebud in in the context of Citizen Kane. So I'm not going to go on the same uh, Googling quest as you have done. uh, (laughs) I'll leave a link in the show notes. You should see this this 100-yard stare that Kevin has when he was talking about it. Truly must have been shocking. Uh, I would say, I'm saying that Citizen Kane probably is a flash forward because we are given a mystery enticing, or is it Red Herring? You just said Red Herring, which is the first time I've ever heard Red Herrings thrown out there. 
a really good flash forward and a red herring is Mission Impossible 3. Oh, no. yes, 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 yes. Which no. is also kind of like a cold open. It's definitely a flash forward. It's 100% flash forward. No. It's a red herring because, for those that don't know, it begins with Tom Cruise pleading against Philip Seymour Hoffman not to pull the trigger on his wife, Michelle Monaghan, yeah. who is tied up beside him. And we then learn, as the movie goes along, and, and we catch up to that point, that it was somebody wearing one of those face masks. Okay. So it wasn't Michelle Monaghan. Right, yeah. But JJ loves his cold opens and his flash forwards. Now, what's good about the flash forward? They kind of get you over the boring stuff for the first 10 minutes. If the first 10 minutes of the film is generally dull, day of the life stuff, a good flash forward in the front of something exciting that's going to happen down the line is kind of great to kind of like, you know, see you through those few minutes. I don't particularly like them, to be honest. I find them a bit sort of like TV-ish. Yeah. It's like you're not starting the movie at the moment where the story begins. You're starting it at an external place in order to keep me invested so I don't change Mm -hmm. the channel. Yeah. But sometimes they do work and you've got like Titanic where it's it's giving us a way into the story. The the story about the heart of the stone, isn't it? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I've not watched that film in so long. Heart of the sea. Heart of the stone. (laughs) And hey, there's a compelling one. There's uh, Sunset Boulevard has got a good one. That's got an intriguing That's a good one. Where we open with a, a narrator. Yes, this is Sunset Boulevard, Los Angeles, California. It's about five o'clock in the morning. That's the homicide squad, complete with detectives and newspaper men. A murder has been reported from one of those great big houses in the 10,000 block. You'll read about it in the late editions, I'm sure. You'll get it over your radio and see it on television. Because an old-time star is involved. William Holden, and he's a screenwriter. And uh, yeah, I really empathize with him because his character is face down dead in a swimming pool. (laughs) Maybe you'd like to hear the facts. The whole truth. If so, you've come to the right party. You see, the body of a young man was found floating in the pool of her mansion with two shots in his back and one in his stomach. Nobody important, really. Just a movie writer with a couple of B pictures to his credit. The poor dope. He always wanted a pool. Well, in the end, he got himself a pool. Only the price turned out to be a little high. Let's go back about six months and find the day when it all started. I knew he was a screenwriter when I saw him face down dead in the swimming pool. <laughs> that was just his hopes and that dreams. That spoke to me. <laughs> Children of God has got one as well, if you can remember. City of God. Oh, hold on. So tell me, what is that one? So what? how would you categorize Children of God? City. It's a flash forward. You get to see the, the main guy in a duel and then it they sort of do a match cut from that to him as a kid and you follow him as he makes his choices through the story that lead him back to that point. Hold on, what film are you talking about? Children of God. Fucking gobshites. Oh, shit. I got are you that thinking of Children of Men? Yeah, I was thinking of Children of Men. I was like going, that's not Children of Men. Oh, well. Children of Men is a good one as well, but that's more like... That's um, a cold open, I think. Yeah, cold open. It's just sort of setting the, the tone for what the movie yeah. is and giving you a, an idea of of the the world in which the film takes place. Absolutely. And, it's, and, and it gives you all the information in one really impressive, it's a wonder. The whole scene is a wonder. Good morning. Our lead story. The world was stunned today by the death of Diego Ricardo, the youngest person on the planet. Baby Diego was stabbed outside a bar in Buenos Aires after refusing to sign an autograph. 
Witnesses at the scene say that Diego spat in the face of a Clive Owen's character. He's in a coffee shop. Everyone's looking at the death of baby Diego. Mm, the youngest and, person in the world. And he was killed. He was just stabbed you know, in a random act of violence. And Clive Owens walks out of the coffee shop, all on a winner. And as he's getting a newspaper or something like that, puts his coffee down, the camera pans around and a bomb goes off in the coffee shop he was just in. And it's really good at establishing the compelling thing about this world, the central problem with the world, really. But not really much about its character. There's a few cold opens that I think are really hooky. They're not kicking off the story, but they... They set the scene for you and you just feel like, oh, this is interesting. What's this movie going to be like? You've got like 2001, the opening there. That symbolic leap from primates into space travellers. Oh, yeah. The lobster. Do you remember the lobster? I haven't seen the lobster. It opens with a lady driving along the road. We never see her again. We don't know who she is. If you can call it a oneer, it's a oneer. But we were watching her profile as she's driving along a desolate road. And she pulls over. She gets out of the car. She walks up to a field where there are three cattle mm-hmm. and uh, she shoots one of the cattle in the head and she gets back into the car and then the title comes up. And it's like, wait, what? What's this movie going to be about? <laughs> and then as you start to understand what the story of the film is, okay, then that makes more sense. I have an so, idea. I have a fair idea of what the story is. I have a fair idea. It's, um... it's about people who are single and if they don't find, if they don't match up, they basically have to choose the animal that they're be- going to become um, transformed into. Yeah, yeah. So that woman had a prior relationship with that co. <laughs> Does it remind when, you of, when you put it that way. you of West Cork. Cork! <laughs> Take me back home. I'll give you another clue, Will. Go on. For my pick, the writer of the film is a white man. Oh, Jesus Christ, Kevin. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, what the fuck? Remember, if you don't guess it correctly by the end, <laughs> I'm never going to reveal what my pick is. <laughs> Have you ever written any opening scenes that you particularly like? Because obviously as a screenwriter, you're writing shit that it might not see the light of day. I mean, I don't have yeah. experience that myself. Everything that I've ever written has been made. Yeah. But for you, for you, yeah. have you ever written anything that you really loved and it never got made? As I Well, I can I can share an opening scene that, that I uh, wrote that didn't see the light of day. The original opening scene for Wolfwalkers. And for those of you who don't know what Wolfwalkers is, it's set in 1650 about an English uh, a wolf hunter. It's a live action film. It's animated. Is it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Oh, yes. shit. What did I watch? <laughs> but the scene, it's about a wolf, wolf hunter and his son. In the early draft, it was uh, Sean Bean and his son, Robin. And they were a wolf hunter and his son was his apprentice and they were tasked with the job of wiping out the last wolf in Ireland. And, and the opening scene I wrote for that was very much a an action scene. It was a scene that established, you know, it was a cool hunting scene of the two of them working in sync where they are tracking down this wolf with their, with their bird. And it culminates with the inciting incident of the entire film. Like, I, I was so excited to write something that was so efficient where we saw their relationship through action and not words. We saw the, the central, we saw a cool, exciting action scene in animation, like, you know, kind of inspired by Samurai Jack and Gendy Tartakovsky and whatnot. And uh, it ultimately led to the point where... The Explain to me, inspired by Samurai Jack, I don't know that reference. Samurai Jack, it was an amazing animated series from the late 90s by 
an, by an animator called Gendy, Gendy Tartakovsky. And he, he created incredible action scenes. And uh, they were inspired by samurai movies, mainly. So, so, so what I, my inspiration was writing to write something that was uh, action, very low in dialogue, all sparse, but incredibly kinetic. And uh, ultimately lead to a point where by, by the end of the scene, you have all the information you need to kind of know what the central problem of the film is. And we had that. We had a cool moment where we had this kid who is uh, faced with the point where he has to shoot this wolf or his dad's going to die. And Oh, that's good. That's a good hook. Yeah, he can't. He ultimately can't shoot the wolf. Did that get to animatic or sort of storyboard stage? I'm trying to remember what stage. I don't know if we got to the storyboard stage because why it was cut was we made one major change to the story where we changed the boy Robin from being a boy to a girl. And Why did that change it? Why did it fundamentally change the... Massively change it. Because it meant the starting point. The starting point for the character when he was a boy was that he's trajectory in life was that he was going to grow up to be a hunter like his dad that was uh-huh. that's that was what was expected of him but so that was the norm right but when you change it to a girl her she was expected point, to grow up and be a housewife like her mom she was expected to grow, grow up to be a maid to be a housemaid at the best she had two options to be a housemaid or a witch basically and <laughs> and so having her start off as being a hunter's apprentice in the woods just didn't work it just didn't work for the all the other changes in the story that we made as a consequence. And so we tried to hang on to it. But uh, the longer we held, tried to It didn't feel it, authentic it anymore. It didn't feel real. And we kept changing it. And we basically started putting her into a kind of a into a kind of a kitchen environment but out in the woods. And it was just like, let's let's just put her into a kitchen in, <laughs> in the castle, have her in the castle and just start her at that point. And all Frustrated. of a sudden. Frustrated. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden it just made sense. Once we made that change, it just went. It was Honestly, we all wanted to hold on to it. We all did for the longest time. It just didn't make sense for the story. So it's really hard to to cut those scenes that, that everybody loves. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't have experience with that myself, but uh, I how can about empathize. You? <laughs> Do you have any opening scene that you've written that you absolutely love that's, uh, that never saw the light of day? Um, I have written... I've written scenes that I really do love and I still kind of hold out hope that they will happen. So... I don't know. I can speak to Grabbers. Okay. The opening to Grabbers is one that I lobbied for cutting from the film. Um, because, Why? Well, because we were, we were really struggling to make the schedule and we didn't have the money to sort of do what we wanted to do. And the opening sequence was quite expensive. And what I had written was much more elaborate. It was a scene that kept people reading the script. Okay. And, and usually when you're writing a script... You don't have all the other elements that make a movie work. You don't have the sound design. You don't have the score. You don't have the the amazing visuals. You don't have interesting actors or or the stuff that sort of makes you lean in. Mm-hmm. With a script, you just have the words on the page and the tension that you can elicit or the intrigue you can elicit from that. And so it 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 was much more elaborate. It had them seeing something coming in like a flare. Uh, thinking it is a flare, uh, obviously it wasn't, heading towards radioing the Coast Guard to say that they're heading towards the site of where they think a flare went off and notifying them that they're they're getting closer and they were going to send somebody along, a Coast Guard were going to uh, follow up with them. 
we know that, that there's nothing there. One of the guys is leaning over, like looking in the water with a flashlight, and he gets pulled into the water, okay. and he disappears. And the other two guys are like, where the fuck has he gone? What's happening? Where did he go? Did you see him? And then he surfaces about 50 feet away from them, and he's screaming, and the other guy is like, point, keep pointing at him, hold his position, as he said, going to get like a, a life raft. And the screaming is happening and happening and happening. And then he just goes under the water and disappears and it goes completely silent. And the two guys are left like looking at the water thinking, what the fuck just happened? And um, where's he gone? And then it kind of plays out a little bit like that where the next guy then gets pulled overboard and he gets grabbed. Yeah, he gets grabbed. It was a great grabber of an opening. But it was way too expensive to put somebody in the water. And when we were shooting the movie, we had a terrible winter. The budget was not able to... Um, support reshoots or pickups or extra days so when we lost days we had to t- cut them from the schedule there was no way to there was no way to make them up elsewhere because we were so jam-packed hmm. and I kept lobbying just get rid of the opening nobody's coming to this movie for the fishermen getting killed they're coming for the stuff that's going to happen at the bar you want to ring fence everything that's taking place on the bar with the main characters and I was using references like Tremors doesn't open that way hmm. and Predator doesn't open that way and The Thing doesn't open that way you don't have to have this traditional opening that a lot of movies have, monster movies, which is the big splashy opening Jaws type kill at the beginning. I did it because it was a way to grab people on the page and I just was trying to hook people. establish the, the ambition of the story. Mm-hmm. So we ended up shooting a version of it that I don't think is particularly successful. I think it's, I can, I, I can see it wearing its budget. Okay. Um, eh, so that's my... That's my experience with opening scenes, but I love them. Yeah. They're often the best part of a film. Often the up. Oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Kevin. Up is like, if you were to use your categorization, like up, that montage is utterly incredible. And the film just can't compete with that opening. No. It's so good. It's a, I would consider that to be a prologue where we get the whole yeah, story definitely. of their relationship and his life up to that point. And it's, not, and it's after that point the actual story begins. It gives you all the information you need for the story to kick off, but it is so elegant and beautiful. No dialogue. And that score is uh, uh, just plays in your head. It's Michael Giacchino's score. And uh, by the end of it, if you're not crying by the end of it the first time you see it, then you obviously must go to a doctor and get your heart checked out. It sort of gives the character permission to then be so cantankerous and gruff because you know that he's suffered immense heartbreak yes and and you're meeting him at a point where he's just trying to get by uh, I can't remember much of that film other than Kevin Kevin's a girl <laughs> yeah it's a little I was like oh my god a character with my name <laughs> yeah. I'm so invested now Doug and yeah the rest of it didn't, d- doesn't quite live up to that opening Squirrel yeah but a, a prologue I guess in, in a nutshell would be it's necessary backstory for the main story to begin and if you didn't have it then the story wouldn't work as well. Here, I got one of the most epic prologues ever. And I'm going to say this. I cannot wait to say this title and watch Kevin's face wince, right? But you you can't wince. deny this is, yeah, you're going to wince. You can't deny this is this prologue is one of the most epic prologues that's ever been created. And it's- I just talked about Grabbers. For <laughs> Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. Oh, I can't even remember it. So what you know, an incredible like it 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 condensed look he's oh, off. Yeah, yeah. He's, two more minutes. He's, he's off. Listen to me, listeners who is not, not like and not Kevin. Yeah, just a Latin. <laughs> <laughs> 
is the prologue for Lord of the Rings. If that didn't work, if that prologue didn't work, the whole film was going to fall flat. And it what it does in capturing the low the lore through uh, what's her name, Kate Blanchett. Cheers, and yeah, he's, you're such a dickhead. Kate Blanchett's Kate Blanchett's narration, <laughs> but it's the battle scene between the 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 realm of men and elves versus Sauron. That cool battle scene where we get to see the the prologue, what happened with the ring. And uh, everything about that, I think it just, just works. It just it just really establishes that we're entering this epic world, and then the contrast when we transition to the Shire and the kind of the peacefulness in the Shire. You just it just has the excitement. It just it fills you with excitement for the adventure that's going to come in the following nine, twelve, thirty six, seventy two hours. I don't know how long they all are together. So that's one prologue. I'm going to say it'll feel that length when they finish that Amazon series. Oh Lord. I want to call back to JJ because he's done one other belt. Oh my God. It has to be Star Trek 2009. Yes. Yeah. Fuck, I thought that was amazing. That was such a great way to open that movie. Yeah. I have a reading. They locked weapons on us. I don't know. Torpedo locked on us at 320 degrees. Mark two. Mark up. Delta five. Yeah. Chris Hemsworth as Daddy Kirk making a last stand to save as many people as he can while his wife is giving birth to her son who will become you will be named in this epic scene as James T. Kirk it's an incredible scene Captain Shuttle 37 is my wife on board yes sir she is I need you to go now do you hear me we're waiting on you sir no just go take off immediately that's an order yes sir Leaving. Where are you? Sweetheart, listen to me. I'm not going to be there. No. This is the only way you'll survive. Please don't, ship. You have to be here. The shuttles will never make it if I don't fight them off. Sure. I can't do this without you. Okay, I need you to push now. I love that. And you know, Up and Star Trek, I think... The two things that they both have in common is I was crying by the end of both of them. Yeah. That is a huge feat to make you care about characters that you've only just met and and to have such an emotional reaction to them where it just pulls on your heartstrings. I I I find that so impressive because it's it's quite easy to shock people. And a lot of these opening scenes, they do tend to focus on the end of somebody's life because it's sort of like it's the most important moment of that character's existence so it feels neat in that you can start at the very end for a character Mm. but uh, to make you feel so much from that you end up tearful at their demise I think it speaks to the filmmaking and it earns so much goodwill that it carries you through the rest of the film whatever kind of like shortcomings the film might have in the following viewing you kind of are, you, you're still riding the adrenaline rush or the high or whatever it is you were feeling in, from those first five or ten minutes. What is it? It's a boy. A boy? Tell me about it. He's beautiful. George, you should be here. Impact alert. What are we going to call him? We can name him after your father. 
Tiberius, you kidding me? No, that's the worst. Let's name him after your dad. Let's, let's call him Jim. And it, yeah. you know, you kind of forgive the rest of the film, as I did with Star Trek the first time I watched it. That first yeah, sequence. It's, it's a film where the first half is much, much stronger than the second half. Yes, yes. Like how that movie ends, it just doesn't have the same sort of oomph as how it begins. Yeah. I'll give you another clue from my pick. Well, oh, go on. Oh, if it's something about a man and being white, go on. He's got two legs. It also stars a man. Anyway, Bryce. <laughs> I'm wanna, helping you out here. I want to briefly mention two prologues. There Will Be Blood is an amazing prologue. Completely silent. Daniel Plainview, down a well, digging, digging, digging. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and, it, and, it, and it's establishing so much about his character, his determination, his, uh, his just dogged search for that treasure that he, he, he desperately desires. And... Uh, I think that's an excellent one. It's compelling and it draws you in just using music and score. You're wondering what's going on and who he is. Intrigue. Um, You're kind of drawn into his character. The opening of Boogie Nights as well was really good. Yes. Remind me that. What what happens in that? I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) No, it opens with that one where you get to see everybody in the club and Roller Girl is sort of moving about the place and... It's got that great musical score and then it ends, the, the scene ends with the introduction of Mark Wahlberg in the kitchen. Oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Fantastic. I've got a prologue scene that packs a punch. The one from Marriage Story, the, the film was... Um, I never Friday. saw that film, but I did see the scene for this. Fucking hell. Fucking hell. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. What fuck? It's, it's fantastic because... It's Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson and their characters. It opens, it's like a, almost like a ro- uh, romantic comedy where it's both of them are narrating why they love each other, what's great about each other. I've been what I love about Nicole. Loving you. She's a great dancer. Infectious. She is a mother who plays, really plays. She gives great presents. Competitive. What? Are you kidding me? You want to be free. She knows when to push me. And when to leave me alone. I love. I love. I thought we should talk. Okay. I think it was so compelling because it draws you into that relationship and it's it's kind of like up I don't know how to start where it gives you a condensed version of that entire life and the the life of this relationship and why they're perfect for each other and then the stark cut at the end of this opening prologue where you see holy shit they're actually separating and it is quite shocking and so the fallout of the rest of the film and it is an agonising film to watch but absolutely brilliant is only works because of those open that opening prologue that you realize how far they've fallen that they, they just they, 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 this is this isn't all just hate there was such great love between the two of them and uh, yeah, it's beautiful have you ever seen blue valentine the ryan gosling film with michelle williams oh i have seen blue valentine it's devastating yes I've it seen is it. yeah yeah 
And that's what I love in movies is to be devastated. <laughs> there is a couple of other ones that I think that the movie starts off great okay. and it doesn't carry on. And one of them is a film which I don't know of many people that have seen this one and it's called Eye for an Eye. I don't know this. It was directed by John Schlesinger, star Sally Field, and it basically opens with her stuck in traffic. Hello? What are you doing home? I skipped soccer p- practice. I wanted to help set up. <laughs> is Maria there? I sent her and Megan over to the Hunsaker so the d- decorations would be a surprise. Oh, you're such a sweetie. Yeah, hang on a sec. Someone's at the d- door. Julie? Julie? What's happening? Julie? Julia! I'll get help, Julie! I'll get help! Help me! Somebody help me! Have you got a phone? Have you got a phone? Please! Help me! Move your car, lady! Have you got a phone? It's about her getting justice against uh, the man that killed her daughter. But it was such a riveting opening yeah. that you could feel that the entire movie was greenlit off the back of that scene. That just shows the power of uh, of a compelling opening. Like, mm. you know, it's you almost feel like that is like the, the trailer for Taken, even though that wasn't the opening of Taken. When he's going over the fence. In- <laughs> <laughs> Wait a million cuts. No, you know the famous ads where it was like for they're being they're being taken. Yeah. What I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. Uh, uh, skills that make me a nightmare for people like you. Who is that? I don't know. I don't pay at home. I did, Jack. If you let my daughter go now, I will not pursue you. But if you don't. I will look for you. I'm open knocking, kid. Come on away, you. old boy. And I will kill you. <laughs> Whatever, boy. At least you go out here. Go on. Bye, 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 bye. That wasn't the opening scene, but it feels like it could have been the opening scene for the film because that, that just drew everyone. Got over, made was a, that the opening scene? No, it wasn't the opening scene. No, it was like the, the this whatever, plot point one or wherever you talk about the end of act one or... Well, here's the thing. You have, we've talked about prologues. We haven't talked about inciting incidents. Yes, very important. Which is like, it's the scene that starts the dominoes falling. Yeah. And if you didn't have the scene, there wouldn't be a story. And usually, not usually, sometimes you can wait about 10, 15 minutes before the inciting incident would happen. Yeah. There'd be something that would interrupt their life. And that would be the inciting incident. It's an interruption. It's like yeah. the movie begins at, at the moment when the plot kicks off. Mm-hmm. Whereas films like Jaws opens with the inciting incidents, the first shark attack. And yep. then we meet the protagonist after that's already happened. And their job is reacting to that and basically trying to solve what happened to the girl. And Star Wars, Star Wars, it's Princess Leia is trying to get the plans to the rebels, but she gets uh, caught by the Death Star and she shoots the the, the, the droids land in Tatooine. And that's the inciting mm. incident of that film. I've never seen that. <laughs> Have you got a good one? Scream. Oh, Scream is one? Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, the murder of Drew Barrymore. Yeah. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. 
What did you say? Very good one. It would have it would have been in contention for me for like my favorite opening scene to a movie because you know it just it was riveting. And I remember on the page even reading it and just like being sucked in. Yeah. But we've talked about that film enough times, so I exactly, decided yeah. to leave it aside. Don't hang up on me. A touch of evil is another one. That's an excellent one. That it's a wonder, isn't it? Mm-hmm. We've got the bomb and the boot of the car. I've got one for you. A horror movie, actually, from the 1970s. Don't look now. That Nicholas Rogue film from the 1970s. Oh yeah. Where yeah. we have. Do you like that film? Oh yeah, I find it very the atmospheric and uh, painful again to watch. And I was an adult with my own kids. It's just. Did you have you seen that film since you've become a dad? Oh, good question. I've seen the opening scenes since I've become a dad, but I don't think I've watched the whole film. Why? Oh, okay. no, because I just wonder how that film would hit. If- oh, it's the opening. I watched the first 10, 15 minutes of it for, for this, and it was devastating because it's, yeah. you have Donald Sutherland and his wife. I usually Julie don't Christen. mind children getting killed in movies, but you know, I'm <laughs> yeah. barren, so you have to- <laughs> I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> Donald Sutherland and his wife, Julie Christie, in their lovely palatial English country house. And out in the garden, they have their two kids, her son, the son's on the bike and the daughters. She has this, I she's dressed in full red and she's playing with a ball and a little toy soldier. She throws the ball, the, the, her ball into the pond and, you know, you can, she's just, she's reaching into the pond for the ball. And you're like, you're, you're kind of clenching your teeth as a parent and you're going, oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. The Prince of War. <laughs> Meanwhile, the parents are inside just kind of, preparing and they're perfectly happy in their relationship and they're just kind of studying or whatever they're doing. And he gets these ominous kind of vibes when he's looking at the slide uh, of uh, the interior of a church and he sees this figure in a kind of a, a red, a red hooded figure in the corner of one of these slides. And you can just see him kind of going, he's saying something's fucking off here. And uh, all of a sudden then we cut to the sun running across the lawn and you immediately know, oh shit. And he feels it. Yeah. He feels it. Ruined their clothes. Yeah. He just runs. (laughs) (laughs) You smart arse. He feels it. He can feel something's gone wrong and he just bursts out of the the back door and runs right past the kid and he just goes straight into the pool. And him dragging up the body of his daughter out of the water is so agonizing. It's awful. It's heart wrenching. And it's the inciting incident. It's really powerful. It sets the tone for that whole film. Mm. La La Land is another one That's also fun That's excellent That is excellent Is that an exciting incident though? No it's just You know it's fun Like the opening to Don't Look Now it's, Oh yeah That's probably my favorite scene in that movie, actually. Yeah, another example of how an opening scene, even though it's completely disconnected to the film, can buy you so much good karma for the rest of the film. It really does. I like that film. Yeah. I'll give you another clue from my pick. Oh, come on. Tell me. He breathes air. It was also directed by a white man. Did you not give me this already? No, I said something totally different. I said it was written by a white man. All right. (laughs) Go on. Let's keep talking about opening scenes. What other categories? What other ones are here? Okay, I was going to mention Uncut Gems as well. I haven't, still haven't seen that. The Safties have a, have an interesting approach to openings to their films because the one prior to that good time, I think the opening titles don't come into the movie until about 25 minutes in. Yes, right, yeah. 
And Uncut Gems opens with a very disconnect. It's almost like 2001 in that it, it opens with like something that feels completely divorced from the story, but is thematic. Yeah, the, like the universe begins. The universe begins and we're in we're in the mine and we see the, the actual gem being extracted from the mine itself. Yeah, and the guys are fighting each other. And then it yeah. cuts to um, Adam Sandler and he's mad into selling diamonds. <laughs> you love to... This is me, all right? I'm not a fucking athlete. This is my fucking way. This is how I win. What, what are your favorite type of openings? Um, I like inciting incidents. Yeah? Like, I don't have any power as a screenwriter. It, it just comes down to people giving me the benefit of the doubt as much as believing in me mm-hmm. at this stage. So it comes down to how well I can write a scene and whether people fall in love with it as much as me. But if the scene is connected to the plot and that it's crucial to the, to the, to the telling of the story, then it becomes less of a debate and an argument with people where they're like, why do we need this? Mm-hmm. And I feel like no matter if I'm in the right or in the wrong, I'm going to lose the arguments if the opening scene is like Uncut Gems. So I like inciting incidents because I think that they just work Mm -hmm. if you do them well. I like cold opens where you're just pulled into the world. You're given all that information you need in that that opening scene about the world that you're in. Like, uh, You have to sort of hook it into like something that is elemental to the story. So if it's not about the protagonist and sort of establishing who that character is and what the journey that they need to go on to sort of achieve fulfillment, then it is establishing the threat. It's a no country for old men thing of giving us the villain. Addy, what's this about? Step out of that car, please, sir. What is that? I need you to step out of that car, sir. What is that for? Would you hold still, please, sir? Yep. You're on this path where you know that this character is going to come to blows with whoever the protagonist is. And The Matrix is another example of that. That's a great we, opening, yeah. Yeah, where it's just it just that opening again, that opening just pulled you into this world and intrigued you and had you asking questions that you wanted the film to answer. Lieutenant, you were given specific orders. Hey, I'm just doing my job. You give me that jurist, my diction crap. You can cram it up your ass. The orders were for your protection. <laughs> I think we can handle one little girl. I sent two units. They're bringing her down now. No, Lieutenant, your men are already dead. Oh, 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 oh. oh, oh, oh. But then the whole the whole thing about the telephone because we went in blind into that film. This is before you know, early early days of the internet. Even her running towards the telephone boat, putting the phone to her ear, and she vanishes. And and she be, and it's just like okay, what the fuck is going on there? So you're leaning into the film to explain all that, not not have the the film tell you what's happening, but the film kind of demonstrate. Okay, this is the shit that's going on. But we'll ex- don't worry, we'll, we'll we'll explain it as we go through yeah. the story. And I felt. The Matrix was the first film I ever saw. I came out of the cinema and I wanted to go back in and watch it again straight away because it just fucking, 
it blew my mind. It really did. It just, I just went, this is, that's an incredible, a perfect, I, I thought at the time, a perfect film. It really was. And it was doing something innovative or it felt like. That it was, was basic innovative. instinct for me. <laughs> Have you ever fucked on cocaine, Nick? How oh, aren't you sweet? <laughs> what about, what about your uh, iconic and uh, beloved Jurassic Park? That would be a cold open. That's the scene. It would be the scene where we have them trying to get the Velociraptor into the into the uh, cage. And it's like paddock. shoot her, shoot her. There's none yeah, of the it's a paddock, characters. not a cage. Sorry, the, the paddock. Yes. And uh, it's It'll never make a farmer. What that what that what that scene is doing is it is establishing the threat and the dread and the danger, and also giving you teasing you with the dinosaur itself. But you know, but you know what? When I was watching that, I thought, well, the raptor could just squeeze out of that gap. I don't know why he has to hide behind the corner and pull your man in like that. <laughs> I thought there's loads of room for him to run out there. I was confused. So, I, w- I thought it was a T Rex that was in there. I was like, when I first saw it in the sun, I was like, going, oh. I knew it wasn't a T-Rex because I wasn't stupid. That is one big pile of shit. Bond, your favourite. Oh, I'm... British Yes, I hero. love my Bond. He has tons of cracking openings and they're like yeah. a day in the life where they're unconnected to the story itself. They're sort of like yeah, most of him on a prior mission. But then the one that I mentioned recently on an episode, which I can't remember which one it was, but I fucking loved it. And uh, it's connected directly to the plot, which is unusual for Bond. Oh. So it's an inciting incident. Skyfall. Ah, yes, yes ma'am. ma'am. Do you know what episode you mentioned this, the scene in? The best fucking, Bond scene. The fucking I just Bond remembered <laughs> It just came to me. Yeah. I was like, did we mention that in Assassins or was it Chase Scenes? No, it was Bond. Yes, yes ma'am. ma'am. Yeah. That's yeah, a, that's a great one. Fantastic. Goldeneye as well. Goldeneye, absolutely. That was the one I picked for my Pierce Brosnan picking that one. I absolutely adore that opening sequence to Goldeneye. De- the Living Daylights, I enjoy that one. Yeah, Bond's great at it. What's the Living Daylights one again? It's they're on the Rocket Gibraltar and they're doing kind of like uh, exercises. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's assass- an assassin amongst them. Play it there. Pod, pod. It's all so boring here, Margo. There's nothing but playboys and tennis pros. If only I could find a real man. Who are you? Bond. James Bond. Hey, there's one I, I loved and I thought it was so ambitious and so impressive at the time. Contact, where we open in orbit of Earth and you have the cacophony of sounds. Oh, it starts way out in deep space. And no, it's of- the opposite. It starts out uh, on the kind of... In oh, the it starts Earth. on planet Earth and it moves all the way back. I'll just back. edit that. Yeah. <laughs> and you have the cacophony oh it starts on planet earth and it moves all the way back and pulls back yeah I thought it was very clever and as we're moving back through the solar system we're going back in time no it's not you're hearing all the different music yeah and then and and then eventually we keep pulling back at an accelerated pace and the audio just drops so soon and we just keep going back and it just establishes the expanse of space and uh, then she pulls out to her eye am I right in thinking that that was a good movie it's an excellent film I haven't seen it in 20 years but it was I, I, it blew me away definitely I wasn't disappointed by the ending when she finds that she's descended from aliens on the planet well you know it's open to interpretation Kevin it, 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 it's open to interpretation <laughs> no isn't it that the aliens rep- represent themselves as something that she would have yes 
great affection for. Exactly. And so it's using as much empathy as possible to yes. try and connect to her. Oh, I thought it was a, a lovely film. Yeah, when they sent her back with a bomb that uh, blew up half the world. You know, fair play to him. And that's where the title comes from. Context, Panic yeah. Rooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that one. You know, it comes up a lot with openings. What? And they're like uh, introducing the protagonist. And with those scenes, they've been given a little terminology, screenwriting terminology. They're like save the cat moments. Uh, yeah, go on. It's like a, a moment where if your character's like a firefighter. Okay. And they, they run into the burning building and they save the people. And then they hear a kitten crying and it's no hope to go back in. And the firefighter goes back in and he kills the kitten. <laughs> Saves it from a worse fate. Well, in all fairness, but in all fairness, that would be what you just proposed there is actually an interesting, would be an interesting starting point for a story. If you have the classic hero who goes back a in. A twist. A twist who actually goes back in and it, you think it's going to rescue someone, but actually, you know, murders them and is a serial killer yeah. when it suits them. It's like going, well, you're probably going to die anyway, so I'm, but I'm just going to put you out of your misery right now. Well, I hope you don't expect me to save you because I don't do that anymore. <laughs> Bye. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those save the cast moments are, they're great tools if you've got a kind of a villain character and you want to humanize him. Yeah. Opening scenes, I think, are really easy to write. Yeah. Because you can do anything with an opening scene. You've you've got carte blanche. You can just have, like, I'll propose one to you, right? Okay. You open on a plane, and it's a passenger plane. Right. And the passenger plane is full of people. Mm-hmm. And they're flying somewhere. And you have a smattering of different characters. Smatter, 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 smatter. Okay. Yes. And they're like... People going on vacation or a holiday for those of you who are outside of the US. You have a little kid drawing in a coloring book, and you have an, an air stewardess who is talking about looking forward to having some downtime in the country that they're going to. And the pilot is sort of like stretching and flying along, and it's all quite normal. And you're like in this world, and you're, you're, you feel like, oh, I recognize this. This is what it's like to fly a plane at night. Yeah. The stars are twinkling inside and they're above the clouds and suddenly there's a shooting star. You're like, did you see that? No, I didn't see that. Suddenly the plane goes quiet. The engines are no longer thrumming. And people are looking around like, why has it gone quiet? Are we gliding? What's going on? It's like, no, we're not gliding. We're not moving. And the plane is just suspended. People are looking at each other and they're like going, are we falling? What's happening? It's like, no, the plane is just frozen in the middle of the air and you cut to your title it's like whoa what's that all about <laughs> what's that what's that shit about yeah what the fuck was that happen? what happened there fucking hell and then the next scene somebody just waking up and trying to get the kids to school there you go yeah we're looking for a doctor of stop planes in midair here you're the best kind of business we've got a plane that stopped in midair it's going nowhere wait a second what was the flight number? <laughs> oh my God. My dog is on that plane. <laughs> and my dentist. And my wife. Sorry, I should have said that first. <laughs> but it's that sort of thing. It's like you can play Mad Libs all day long and just come up with enticing opening scenes. But yeah. they have to serve a purpose. Absolutely. So, Will, we're coming towards the end of this episode. Right. And you have failed to guess what my pick You is. haven't asked me. You actually haven't asked me. You haven't said, well, what's my pick? What's my pick? I need another clue. <laughs> The co-star of the scene oh, for fuck's sake. is also a man. Oh, God. 
a co-star. So now we've established there's two people in the scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's all white men the whole way. All white men, up and down. No, I didn't say that. I said that the writer was a white man and the director was a white man. Yeah. I didn't say the star was a white man. And I didn't say the co-star was a white man. Right, okay. This is intriguing. They could be, but I didn't say that. Do you know what this is, Kevin? This is... What's this, This is top knowledge. This This is is great podcasting. This is great podcast. (laughs) This is great podcast. Well, they get what they get. (laughs) (laughs) They get what they deserve, god damn it. I am going to go with... It's not eight and a half, and I loved the opening to that movie. Yeah. It's not that. Okay. It's not Patton. Okay. Because there's only one person at the beginning of that, but that's a really good one. It's not Raiders. You're not better than me. Well, well, well. It is Raiders. It's Raiders. Oh my God. I fucking guessed this. You're not better than me. It has to be Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Because it's such a belter of an opening. It's so good that it allows you to slow down for a good chunk of the rest of the movie and sort of establish who this adventurer is. And I think it's a cracking opening. And I've talked about some of the other ones that I've loved. But I thought, Raiders of the Lost Ark is so good live, I had to pick it. Yeah. <laughs> I was there going, oh, says, oh God, we've talked about Raiders so many times. But then I was like, how do you not mention some of the greatest fucking openings of all time? And it really is. It really is just fucking fantastic. That's a good, good pick. There's also some other ones that I think are cracking and we didn't talk about them. The Social Network. Oh yeah, definitely. That's a real classic. Yeah. The two of them, he's... That that's did you ever hear about the 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 evolution of the shooting of that? Oh, Aaron Sorkin's script was something like three hundred fucking four hundred pages long. Dialogue heavy scripts they can run quite long, yeah. But dialogue if it's delivered at, with a quick pace, yeah. it'll zip by. So I think that scene was like thirteen pages long, and yeah, it's it's five minutes or something like that. It's they yeah. whatever they, they 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 shot it with a timer. They he Fincher made them do it over and over and over again but is cracking it establishes his character it establishes the fatal flaw of him where he's just he just he, he's just a dick he's a dickhead essentially he's, he's a, a dickhead he's yeah. a fucking dickhead he doesn't know how to connect he doesn't know he how does to not. be social he just fails at being social a sociable human being thank god we got rid of him that is a great one that is a great one Inglorious Bastards as well but you know we've talked, we about, talked about that it. scene before you see that's yeah. the thing and we've talked about another a flash forward I actually can give you an excellent flash forward but it's a film we've talked about loads as well. Goodfellas, of course. Goodfellas opens with them driving along the highway and they're, and there's the intrigue of the three lads. You just feel they're coming out from, back from a night out and, and you know there's a noise in the car and he's going, did we hit a deer? What was that noise? What's happening? What's going on? Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. And they're yeah, driving along yeah. and they open up the yeah. boot and it's like, you know, he's still alive and they're like, Jesus. So the way that whole thing is played out is like, it's a, first of all, it's like a mystery. It's almost like a horror movie where they're going, what is that noise? And you're, they're almost fearful. And when they go, oh my God, there's a dead man in a boot and they stab him to death, but it establishes, you know, these guys are fucking monsters. Usual Suspects does similar. That's right. You know, yeah. it's sort of like bookending kind of red herringy. Yeah. But the other one that which I was going to have as a backup, I didn't mention it, but I'll mention it now. One. Once Upon a Time in the West. <gasps> oh yeah, that's fantastic. You'll bring a horse for me. Well, looks like we're... <laughs> looks like we're shy of one horse. <laughs> you brought two too many.
that just casts a spell over you. Like when that comes on and you're just watching it, it's just you just feel the breeze and and you're just sort of like drawn into you feel totally immersed in that world. Yeah. And uh very little dialogue, but what dialogue is delivered. Oh, Chef's kiss. Yeah, it really is. The sound design, it's great, great, great stuff. Uh I've mentioned so many of my picks, but there's one that I haven't mentioned, and it's a film I fucking love. And I'm just gonna mention it. And I like the opening scene. I'm gonna guess. Go on. I'm gonna guess. Cinema Paradiso. No, no, no. Because I brought it up in a previous episode. I'm not gonna retrade myself. It is a Hitchcock film. It's a Hitchcock film. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Vertigo? No, even though that's really good and it establishes so much. It's the other one. Hang so on, hang like, on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Um, um, hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang oh, on. for fuck's sake. Um, hang on, hang on, hang on. Cinema Paradiso. <laughs> it's, it's rear window. I love the opening for rear window. It's a. It's is this your? Like is this your pick? Dog. This is my pick. I've mentioned okay. all the all other right, things. Okay, all right, sorry. Well, let, let me try that again. <laughs> wow, that's a great pick. <laughs> I have, because I've mentioned so many films randomly, I actually have probably used up my pick along the way. The reason I'm going at Rear Window is kind of a prologue. It's kind of a day in the life. We have Jimmy Stewart's character is holed up and he's, uh, we're seeing him going through his routines, monotonous routines, stuck inside in, the, in, the, in his room. But he's establishing the cast of characters that he sees from his uh, bedroom window. And uh, we see all of their routines, but it's establishing all of the possible future murder suspects, I suppose, as we go along. And it very, very elegantly establishes who he is, like that he's a photographer, reporter, and he was, he's been broken his leg in a, in a, you know, in a risky photo opportunity. And he's fucking going demented inside in this place. So he's looking for any sort of entertainment and it's before reality tv so reality tv is his back window and i am picking that one because i've mentioned all the other ones and it's the the only one that's on my list that i haven't actually mentioned already but i do love it and i love that film so that's my pick. wow that's a great pick <laughs> jeffries congratulations jeff for what for getting rid of that cast who said i was getting rid of it this is wednesday Seven weeks from the day you broke your leg. Yes or no? Gunnison, how did you ever get to be such a big editor with such a small memory? That's a great movie. I didn't recall that one. This is it. When we talk about the best bits, it's just basically what we can recall while we're on mic. That's exactly it. It's just like what we haven't used up or we've actually spoken about shit already. The problem with this particular topic is there are so many great opening scenes. The Godfather, Heat fucking uh, just uh, Midnight Run so many one of my favourite films why don't you bring it up for Day in the Life as an opening because it's a good opening mm, yeah I could have there's so many movies that open satisfyingly mm. and they draw you in but they're not like explosive openings and they're valid as well like I wouldn't yeah. open yeah. Midnight Run any other way there's, there, there's another example of one that it's not sort of like holy shit yeah wow but I have another example of when it was a listener recommendation as well is uh, Watchmen, where the opening credits of Watchmen is a is a, a great prologue, 
the rest of the film may not live up to that, but still it's... There's an argument to be made for Zack Snyder's best moments in his movies being his opening titles. Yes, yeah. He's really good at it. He's quite stylistic, uh, stylish, and uh, he pulls it off quite good. Other people have suggested things like Blade, which is quite good, that uh, nightclub scene. The way of the gun. Shut that cunt's mouth or I'll come over there and fuck start her head. When I asked on Twitter, that one came up way more than any other. And it's the moment when Sarah Silverman is heckling oh, yes. the guys across the street and they walk over and they knock her out and then a big melee happens. Several Twitter followers also mentioned Intermission, the, the Irish film. Directed by a Corkman. Cork! Yes. And Opening a Temple of Doom. Damon O'Brien recommended the Opening Temple of Doom. That's a great one. For me, it was when I was thinking about great opening from Indiana Jones movies, it was either going to be that, the opening to Raiders, the opening to The Last Crusade or the opening to uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. It's going to be one of those <laughs> four for me. Or, or I'm going to provisionally say the opening to the next one, Indy 5. Whatever that'll be, it's going to be, that's going to be up I have a feeling up. that one's going to be better than the opening to Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. <laughs> even if it's just, they fade in from like a, a pile of cow shit into the Paramount <laughs> logo. I still think it'll be better than the opening to uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skulls. Well, do you think that we did it? I think we've gotten ourselves uh, off the mark, definitely. We've done it, Kevin. We're back. We're back, baby. Season four. And I guess all that's left to do now is to remind people that we have a Patreon. Thank you, Yes, We put out so much extra content on the Patreon that we don't feel has a place on the main feed because we tend to say things that we shouldn't. And if you know Will, you know that that is a lot of very foul shit. Jesus Christ. (laughs) If you do want extra episodes, you can sample us on Apple and uh, you can see what we're up to. And uh, if you want to, it's for a very cheap pint. When we set up the Patreon for the price of a pint, it was like um, what I consider to be the average price of a pint. But no, my God, you're getting... It's like for the price of a sloppy Wetherspoon's pint. It's yes. like the dregs. Yeah, it's more the price of a coffee almost at this stage. Per really month. Is. And uh, yeah, so I thought I'd mention that. You should mention and it. And it's not only that, it's the, the Discord is... is and has hopping. been hopping. It is the yeah. It is absolutely hopping. There's a great I'm not going to recommend the Discord because they're all yes. rabid animals in there, <laughs> and they're bullying me fierce, and I'm not having it. But other than that, you get extra podcasts. But will will we spin the wheel? Let's spin the wheel. Let's see what comes up for me next week, Kevin. And it's not turn. Okay, here we go. And I am spinning. I wonder what number episode we actually ask. We should actually... What, Next episode's episode 40. No way. But we've oh put my. out, if you include the Patreon episodes, about 120 podcasts. What? Oh, I'm Jesus telling you, Christ. you have a problem, Will. So all of those out. other episodes, Get those a job. other you know, 80 episodes are all in the Patreon. So they 80, are. 80, and we're putting out stuff. Not 80. No, because we put out a load of stuff on the main feed. Second rate show and you stuff. You said 40. And, uh, you said 40. So then I'm doing 40. 40 of the main. Yeah, I know 40 of the main, but you said overall yeah. 120. So I took the 40 off the 120 and I came up with 80. Yeah. But I think there's like 50 episodes on the Patreon. And then there's like another. Because we've done commentaries. Oh, and we've done right. Oh, I get you. Shows. Okay. I get you. I get you. I get you. I get you. What is my topic for next week, Kevin? Are you ready? Always. Nose, booze, and a battle. It's best battle scene. 
Oh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Kevin. Jesus Christ, wonderful. We've not you know, done anything similar to this before. That's good. Best battle scene, that's incredibly broad. I'm going to have to put some qualifiers on this to tighten no. it up. I gotta. No. I gotta. I have to. Like, you know, I, I can't. Because there's some, because every Marvel film has got a battle scene. Every. Oh, I think I'm going to have to narrow it down. Well, tell me next episode. Think about it, I'll and we'll, about we'll it. see what we do. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll see what we come out. up with. Come here, that was All great, right. Kevin. I enjoyed it. Ditto. What else are we supposed to say at the end of these episodes? Good luck. I forget. Good luck. All right. Bye. We're back. Podbot, say goodbye. Kiss my hinge. Never mind. <laughs> okay, goodbye. The Best Bits podcast is produced by Will and Kevin. All audio clips and music heard in this episode is the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider becoming a Patreon member where you'll receive bonus shows where we talk about recent releases and what we're up to. And you'll receive access to our Discord chat room where we hang out with our listeners. Search the Best Bits podcast on Patreon or click on the link in the show notes. What the fuck? And here is a clip from the lad's latest mini bits bonus show, the full episode plus 100 more, are available on their Patreon. The best bits with Will and Kevin. No, the best bits with Kevin and Willem. For the films and the, the TV and the latest films. Something, something, something. something. Um, don't forget that you owe us three euro. Okay. <laughs> you can't you throw what? <laughs> oh my God. I, I did a whole Irish theme. The best bits with Kevin and Willem. Talking TV and the latest Okay, right. I'm going to find the fucking thing because it's going to be the music to start the episode. I don't think I've heard this. You have. Well, maybe you haven't. I don't think I have heard this. I do. I suspect that what you do is you just put the laugh and emoji thing and think I'll listen to that some other time. Fuck it, that'll do. Because it's bound to be funny in his eyes. So I'll just tell him what he wants to hear. I actually only laugh the emoji when I've actually listened. <laughs> I should have taken the hint that nobody was responding to the Podbot one. Like, nobody was giving me any reaction to it. And oh. I thought, they hadn't listened to it yet. And then, of yeah. course, I was delighted with that. And people hated it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it, was, it, was, it wasn't easy on the ears in, a, in the sense that it was just her monotone voice. So there was no up and down. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. I tried my best. You're a bug and I'm a feature. Pray to this mantis or I'll eat you. And if you don't know my name, here's an update to teach you. I'm, I'm, I'm Hogwarts and I'm the future. An AI podcasting computer. The number one zero one zero zero one one producer. I'm a psycho cyborg. Yeah, that's exactly it. Good. So. Don't forget, now you owe us three euro. I come off the stage. Not, I've not, I've, I've not heard this. I swear to God, I'm going to send it to you right now, and you can get a genuine reaction. I'll actually listen to it. So I'm, I have my WhatsApp open. The best is Kevin Willem from the telly and the latest film. Talking shit to the dynamic duo. Don't forget, no yours, three euro. Come off the stage, old dad. That's genuinely my first time hearing that. <laughs> I just could easily have just scrubbed it from my memory. That's the other thing that could happen. How do you operate? I, 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 I generally just go on impulses. So if I need to toilet, I just toilet. And does, I, that doesn't necessarily mean I need to be Squat, in the proximity like a of a toilet. Yeah, so I'm saying. You just go. I just nappy it, Kevin. I just man, I just adult nappy it. Oh, we've got loads to talk about. Um, I've watched a load of things. So have I. But I think I should get one thing off my chest straight away because I think 
the discourse out there sometimes can feel really artificial to me and it can feel like people will films to be worse than they are in order to have something to point at and ridicule and sort of create content about. Should I start the timer? Have we just started? Start the timer because I'm rearing to go. I saw Madam Web. Right. I honestly, guys, know nothing. All I I know is I saw a poster very recently. It went... There's a Madam Web film, and I'm... What is this? So it's a Spider-Verse adjacent Marvel movie. Yeah, it's it's one of these Sony things where they did Venom and they're doing Craven the Hunter, okay. and it's sort of an offshoot of the Spider-Man movies. But I don't right. know what universe they're in because they're trying to blend them all together. So is this the Tobey Maguire Spider-Verse? To me, it feels like it's in that space. Mm. Anyway, I thought... I'm done with superhero movies. I'm just over them. I watched Captain Marvel not re- long ago, and I thought it was just tedious. It's so lifeless. The Marvels, not Captain Marvel. Is that what Marvels? Well, yeah. she's in it. Captain Marvel. Captain yeah. Marvel two. It was just sort of like it was another one of those films that felt like Ant Man in that everything was chemical and synthetic and fake and mm-hmm. airless, and you know you just have sound stage after sound stage and. I just feel profoundly depressed watching those films where I feel like yes. there's nothing organic happening in these. From the lines of dialogue to the hairstyles to the costumes to the sets to the music to everything just feels It's artificial, wafer-thin, just wafery, artificially, no sustenance, no satisfaction. You know protein in it whatsoever. You feel like, oh, yeah. wow, I just, I just put something down my throat and I'm still hungry. It feels like eating plastic. Okay on the whole it's just drifted so far away from what Iron Man was that I just don't care about them yet I found The Flash really fun because it was it felt like a Bill and Ted type movie at times it was off the wall bonkers and I don't really particularly give a shit about special effects whether they're good or bad you know I can buy into it because of the ideas behind it or the concepts behind it so I wasn't like revolted by the, the special effects of the Flash. I just thought, you know, it's mm. funny to see babies falling out of windows and being put into microwaves and things like that. So I went to the Madam Web, not really giving a fuck about the genre, but I wanted to see it for the sake of having an opinion on it. And the trailer was awful. It had that terrible line reading in it from the Dakota Johnson where she's, she's shitting out exposition. And I think people had the film's cards marked at that stage. And uh, the film itself, to me, played like a Final Destination action thriller. And I thought it was really pleasant. It didn't bother me in the slightest. I didn't have any of the issues that everybody else has. It was uh, a reluctant hero with no superpowers whatsoever other than having premonitions, trying to keep three teenage girls alive against somebody who's like the evil version of Spider-Man who wants to murder them. And they just played it out in a very cinematic way where it felt like a Sam Raimi type Spider-Man. It looked as good as that. It was all real locations. For me, it felt like a lovely throwback to the Sam Raimi Spider-Man films. And I don't get why everybody loads the film. I thought it was just fun. Oh, wow. Uh, all I've yeah. seen is the negative discourse. And you're the first voice. I believe, you know, I haven't listened to the episode because I haven't watched the film yet. I know the Cinemile uh, had differing views. Oh, fuck. Me and Kathy, we were the, so far the only people that I know who don't think the film is dire, but they've almost had a hernia on that episode. It was very <laughs> enjoyable listen to listening to it. 
Oh, I have to listen to it. He was, I'm really curious. I'm really he was curious. disgusted because Caddy was pushing back and I thought it was very, very funny. And then when I saw it, I was like, do you know what? I am actually on the side of Caddy here. This is actually grand. Right. This is actually grand. So I thought... <laughs> But you know what? It didn't feel like a superhero movie, so I liked it for that reason. Oh, it's okay. I'm just going to look up some of the the credits. And I liked Dakota Um, Johnson's performance as well. She was playing this sort of curmudgeonly antisocial character. And to put that type of person in the role of having to be a protector is actually really fun for me. And it's a role that you don't see many female characters inhabiting. That's more like a Harrison Ford type role. and. I enjoyed it, so I don't get why everyone is shitting their britches over it. It's grand. (laughs) 